0: Welcome to Navigating the New Normal, Grant Thornton's podcast, exploring trends in business and the marketplace. I'm Therese Raft, and today I'm joined by Vince Troppiano, Corporate Tax Partner in our Sydney office, and Phil Corey, Political Editor at the AFR. We'll be reflecting on last week's budget and budget response, and whether this helps to shape a new Australian economy. So welcome, Phil and Vince.
1: Thanks, Therese.
2: Thanks very much, Therese. Good to be here.
0: Now, Vince and Phil, we all watched the federal budget delivered as it happened last week. What were your first impressions, Phil?
1: Uh, My first impressions were it was a budget that didn't really have a broad theme to it. It was more a list of measures designed to combat various political and economic challenges. So I guess if it was trying to do one thing, it was trying to keep Uh, drive the unemployment rate below 5%, so it was a continuation of uh, assistance measures, tax assistance measures uh, to keep business investing. There was a handout for the low- and middle-income earners, ostensibly badged as a stimulus measure, but probably more a political uh, political fix as much as that. And then there were things like the response to the Aged Care Royal Commission, which quite separately from anything else had to be done anyway because the Prime Minister had instigated the Royal Commission into that, so... I guess you could argue about how it was paid for he decided not to go for a tax in a deficit debt budget rather just take it off the bottom line but other than that yeah it was sort of rather unremarkable i thought as a budget
2: look probably similar to phil i thought there were a bunch of interesting bits in it i'm not sure that there was anything that there was an overarching theme but some of the things that uh, the focus on the digital economy i think is probably something that's welcome and some of the concessions and the extensions of concessions sort of dealing with COVID uh, hit sectors, acknowledging that COVID issues are still around, albeit it seemed to be quite a, um, quite a positive spin on it in terms of we're doing so well. But they, it was probably, I guess we were expecting something akin to an election budget or something close to it. So there might have been a few things similar to that in it.
1: Yes, it was, look, it was, you know, I think it was a dress rehearsal for an election budget. <laughs> I mean, the the headline for that budget should have been no-one was harmed in the making of this budget. So it it telegraphs the government's uh, political intent, and that is, you know, if they don't do another budget, if they do do another one, it'll be like this. If they don't do another one, this will be it. But either way, they're not going to hit anyone with a new tax or anything else uh, this side of the election.
0: Now, it was quite clearly a budget that was spending money to make money, and that's not usually what we have come to expect from a Liberal government, is it? Well,
2: you know, look at, looking at it with my tax hat, there are a few things in there which I think, are, you know, which I, I certainly approved of. Some of the tax concessions around extending the, the write-off periods and the loss carry-back measures, which were, were brought in as part of COVID support. And, and for my mind, there's some of those things, are things which probably should be there on an ongoing basis. Certainly things like loss carry-back uh, operates in a number of other jurisdictions and, and it works well there. So I think I think from that side of things, I was quite happy to see that there was money invested in those areas.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't think they, they weren't just spending money for the sake of it. It wasn't like you know it was just sort of free money being sprayed around. The, the money they did spend was targeted. So uh, you know, on those measures, Vince just mentioned but the temporary expensing measure, loss carry back, stuff like that. So they are they are they are measures designed to stimulate economic activity. Um, it's not just sort of giving people money not a la the john howard days you know so there is i guess some method to it <laughs> that it's supposed to generate sufficient economic activity the government's basic point is that before the pandemic when they got the budget back to balance the turning point came when they got the welfare level to the lowest it was in 30 years and and the, and the Difference in income tax receipts and the drop in welfare payments did more to fix the bottom line than anything else. So that's that's the sort of sweet spot they're aiming to get to again. And that's why they're going for a sub-5% unemployment rate. But at the end of the day, that will be helpful, but it won't be enough. And they'll you know, somewhere on the other side of the election, they'll have to do more in terms of getting a debt and deficit than just you know, having a low unemployment rate and hoping it sort of magics its way back towards the black.
0: Now, there was um, a couple of initiatives they announced in October last year, and one of them was the MMI, and interestingly, and perhaps surprisingly for some people, there was nothing explicit about the MMI in this particular budget, despite the fact that all the funding rounds and the roadmaps were released well before last week. Are we still moving towards a modern manufacturing economy, or are we now moving towards a digital economy?
1: Uh, Well, both. Um, The the trouble is when they announced the the MMI and they also did other measures in the October budget, they got accused of ignoring women because these were male-dominated sectors. This is how stupid politics can be. So if you notice in this budget, the sectors that they got all the money and attention was the care sector, aged care, mental health, disabilities, A, because they needed it, but B, because they're female-dominated. So it was almost the government saying okay we have to balance how what we did in October but having said that I mean the stuff in October is still hanging around but as Vince mentioned at the start uh, I think one of the the understated aspects of this budget were the moves on the digital economy and also extension of that the tax treatment changes and stuff to lure the so called best and brightest here. They're non-monetary measures they don't require a lot of money, they're more regulatory and legislative changes, but they're, they're fairly strong signals of intent by the government, if you like, in terms of where our economy is going and where it needs to adapt.
2: And probably picking up on that, I think the patent box, one of the examples of what could be used to support both modern manufacturing and a digital economy, and mm. that's, been, that's been tried and is used in a number of other jurisdictions, UK being one. Interestingly enough, it doesn't have a huge take up in the UK in terms of number of countries or number of companies that um, are taking advantage of the patent box, so we need to look at the detail in terms to make it more widely uh, acceptable. I mean, at this stage, it's limited to two particular sectors, uh, but certainly, I think it is something that should be a benefit and something that we should look at establishing more widely. And I think that'll work with both supporting manufacturing and supporting, you know, growth in the digital economy, and hopefully, um, you know, kicking along the Australian economy and Australia's position in in the digital world. But um, to my mind, I think sometimes the MMI was a, a reaction to what was happening with COVID in terms of supply chain and the like, we needed to get back to building things here in Australia and maybe just in terms of the sentiment on last Tuesday around things are much better than we thought, uh, allowed the government to focus on some other areas rather than going back to that um, particular pocket.
0: The government, uh, their wheelhouse really is kind of business and competitiveness, and there were no mentions last week of changes to the corporate tax rate. However, we do have one of the highest corporate tax rates in the world, and I don't think it was that long ago that the OECD called us out for our two-tiered tax system. So in a post-COVID world, are we competitive?
2: I, I think that there's going to be a few interesting changes there, looking at what Joe Biden's trying to do in the US and pushing for global minimum corporate rates is going to play a big part in that. I mean, we've been talking about making corporate rates more competitive for since Puss was a kitten. But I think that um, if there is a push towards uh, increasing the corporate rates to a minimum, then that is going to make our life easier because that brings us more into the competition game i still think there's a long way to play before that happens because there's a number of countries whose whose economy is built on a competitive tax rate structure you know ireland and the like and there's going to be a lot of pushback before something like that happens and if it does i don't think it's going to happen anytime soon so we still need to be looking at how we can be more competitive in a global environment
1: yeah i agree with vince I, i i don't see any move on company tax for a long, long time for predominantly political reasons. When the government tried to touch it last time, they got burnt badly um, by a sort of populist campaign against it. So now we did, we went out with this two-tiered system, 25% for businesses up to 50 million turnover and 30% above. One of the arguments that the advocates of the tax cut used quite passionately was the huge corporate tax cuts that they enacted in the UK and in the US and would be left behind. Well, that that argument's now disappearing because both those governments are hitting biz, uh, businesses again with taxes. As you mentioned, Biden's putting them back up. So, you know, we're the sort of advocates can't really sort of point over there. The other thing and the main thing is money. So they're, they're very expensive, as we know to sell a corporate tax cut politically you have to marry it as part of a tax reform package so the best way to get it past people and get it past the sort of populist you know big end of town type argument is you you marry them with a set of income tax cuts as a broader reform package and as we've seen the government's already put about 300 and something billion into the stage one two and three income tax cuts so i think they missed the opportunity they should have probably when they did those income tax cuts, sort of married them with a company tax cut and sold them as a package. But if they were to come up with a company tax cut now, there's just no capability to offer further income tax cuts on what is already out there. So I think the opportunity's been been missed for quite a long time, to be honest.
2: Having said that, we're still going to have some challenges in dealing with... Mm. Tax rates in Asia, for example, we're, we're nowhere near as competitive. I mean, if you know, it does pick up in the US and the UK, as you say, Phil, we're still going to have some issues dealing with the Singapore's of the world and all the rest. And, and where a lot of the manufacturing takes place now, are, uh our environments where they have a fairly low tax rates, either in Asia or in Eastern Europe and the like. So if we're trying to build our manufacturing and trying to support Australian industry, it's still going to be a tough sell with the with the tax rates which we have.
1: Absolutely. I have no, no issue with that whatsoever. I, think, I just think they've blown the opportunity to do it uh, politically and economically for quite a while. And you can sort of see the emphasis they're now putting on things like you know, best and brightest schemes to, to attract people here. And then we mentioned the patent box, which you know, gives a corporate tax cut in a very limited uh, sense. So I reckon we're going to see more of those sorts of measures rather than a, a global uh, attempt to cut the tax rate
0: globally. Now, as you both kind of alluded to, Australia does not exist in a bubble, as I did want to touch on the elephant in the room, which is borders, which apparently won't Mm. be opened until mid-22, 2022 at the earliest. So outside of tourism, which we know is very hard hit from closed borders, is this impacting business based on how our economy is going? It doesn't seem like it is.
1: Um. Look, it's going to. Uh, look, Gladys Berejiklian says New South Wales has been losing 1.5 billion a month to the closure of international borders, and we've seen in recent days. I know in our paper, The Financial Review, been writing. We were just talking a second ago about attack, attracting the best and brightest. I've been absolutely inundated with um, emails and calls from skilled migrants already living here, people in IT, global communications, science, and so forth, who, who want to leave uh, because. They're here. A lot of them are sort of young, you know, sort of 30s and 40s. they got kids and they haven't seen their parents or their families in the UK and other countries for already for a year. And and on budget day, when they looked at the budget and realised it may be another year before they can do that, it's really quite a big thing inside the expat community, inside that, that high-skilled community. And a lot I've had a lot of contact from people who are talking about some have left some have decided to go and others are weighing up the decision they've got facebook pages where they chat amongst themselves so i mean it's it's not a huge thing but it's significant you know who's going to come here if, if you can't leave you know mobility is, is a big thing for global companies and i, I spoke to the premier in new south wales a while back and you know, there's no argument i've done a very good job in new south wales in terms of suppressing you know, the coronavirus, they're doing lockdowns and so forth, and she said they've had a lot of interest from people abroad wanting to relocate New South Wales, but if the border stays shut, those opportunities are being missed. So I, I think, you know, domestically, we can all sort of thrive thrive amongst ourselves, but there, there will be a reckoning if, if they can't get them open.
2: I, I, I was reading your, your stuff over the last couple of days, Phil, and I was reflecting on it, and I walk into the office and I can see examples of that because we're we're suffering a shortage of skills work skilled workers across the industry, and I know that that's a big issue because we rely on people coming through from overseas to work in just our environment. So I imagine there's a lot out there that are quietly suffering as well, and I can see the scenario where people will, you know, we will be suffering for the lack of getting talent in the country and losing the talent which we have for sure.
1: Hmm. I mean, the prime minister's uh, I'm not name dropping it, but we're speaking to him just the day before I'm talking to you. And he's very conscious of it, but, but he has to you know, obviously wait up against... He needs really the tick-off from the medicos, but he's, he wants to get it going again, and he believes... He's trying to push the med, the medicos that once you're vaccinated, you've got to travel domestically, and, and then the next step will be able to travel uh, internationally to green zone countries. Uh, so going to do it. He, he says it's not a binary proposition. It's not like they'll just be shut one day and open the next. They want to get it going in increments with business travel. with a couple of the states pretty ready to go on international students. They're talking to the universities about the unis paying for quarantine and things like that. So they're mindful of it, but they've also been mindful of the sort of political and medical consequences if you get it wrong. So that's the sort of situation we're in.
0: Now, we are heading into an election and it needs to be held, I think it's uh, no later than May next year. So there is enough time to squeeze in another budget potentially. What would you put your money on government announcing between now and when we head back to the polls?
1: Uh, Nothing nasty (laughs) Nothing's gonna scare people off this government will go to the election with a uh, uh, You know, we're going to grow the economy to pay for things, right? So it'll be low taxes Things that generate income things that generate jobs. So I suspect the next budget if there is another one It'll be pretty much a mirror image of the last one They may they may may be able to point to a balance or a surplus in the medium term by the end of the decade which would be a light at the end of the tunnel sort of thing. But I I suspect it'll be pretty much steady as she goes. Labor has learned its lesson. Uh, They're not going to go into just promising to spend the world like they did last time. And we saw that with Albanese's budget reply speech he announced a $10 billion future fund for housing, but it's an off-budget scheme. It's not off the bottom line as such. So I I think we'll, we'll sort of see economic caution from both. The spending will probably be reined in. There's a consciousness now that that has to be addressed at some stage, but you won't see measures to actually... You know, combat it in any meaningful sense until after the election.
2: I think that's right. You know, in my mind, it's always a election budget support for voters. So, no new taxes, some more concessions for business where they can be. I, I think probably, as you alluded to, it the focus on the existing deficit probably won't be as as big a deal. It'll be we're still working through all our challenges, uh, but we will have a surplus in X number of years. But it'll be a fairly, it should be a fairly soft landing in terms of what might be announced in the budget.
0: Well, Phil and Vince, thank you both so much for your time.
2: It's a pleasure. Man. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Teresa. Um, no worries, yeah. Thanks, guys.
0: If you liked this podcast and would like to hear more, you can find and subscribe to Grant Thornton Australia on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.